What am I willing to do to go get it? I push things aside just to go get it. I know my role and I play my position. You talking too much. Please learn how to listen. I never give up. I'm not quitting. Welcome back to the Why Network, where we interview every job occupation A through Z, from the trash man to the CEO, and ask them why and how they started their profession so that you can find your dream job, too. I'm your host, Kojo Thompson, and today we have a very special guest with us. It is Rob Wolf. Now, Rob became interested in science and math in the eighth grade. Both of his parents were in the medical field, and with their love and support, Rob became a neuroradiologist. Now, he's got a lot to share with us today. So, Rob, shall I proceed? Yes, indeed. Let's go, Rob. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling very well, thank you. Thank God. Very, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. Thank you for asking. Now, Rob, I'm real excited to get into your job and everything that it entails. So, let's just go ahead and dive right into that first question. Rob, why did you become a neuroradiologist? Well, I went into medical school because I became, like you said, interested in, in, first it was math in elementary school, and then not so much science until about ninth grade, where I started to like biology. And biology, especially when we were learning about the anatomy and physiology of the human body, that's and, and also genetics, both of those topics interested me greatly. Um, chemistry and physics, not so much. I did like the science of it, but it was the biology that really that attracted me to, to this, the medical sciences. Also, since my dad was in the medical profession, and my mom uh, went through med school herself and almost finished. Um, she had to, to quit med school to actually support my dad as he redid his residency in Boston after they moved to the United States. So she never ended up being able to go back, but she knew she was literally just a few months from graduating medical school herself. So their love of medicine and science was always in the household. Uh, that's all kind of they knew. That's what they loved. And that was a big influence on me going into college and then and then ultimately into medical school. So, and that, and also when I worked, uh, I worked in physical therapy as a volunteer. I worked uh, as a janitor in the hospital. I worked uh, as a volunteer in the emergency room. And then I was finally a nurse's aide in the emergency room in the summers uh, in college as a pre-med. And that sort of consolidated my, um, my interest in, in going to medical school. So some great influences there. Very, very, very nice. I love it. I love it. I love it. So uh, let me dig a little deeper. I mean, I know you talked about, uh, you know, you you were interested in the maths and sciences, but uh, what do you think were some other childhood hobbies or habits that you think matriculated into who you became today? Well, that's hard to know. I was kind of a good kid. I was kind of a goody two shoes kid. I, I was an only child of only children. For, uh, for additional reasons, my parents couldn't have any other kids. They also started uh, late in life when they came to the United States having me. So, uh, so I did get a lot of attention and uh, I did study hard. I mean, I went to Hebrew school. We had to do that. I got my bar mitzvah. That was a whole year of studying and work. Piano lessons for eight years uh, from third to 11th grade, which sometimes I didn't like back then because all my friends were outside playing football and basketball and I was inside practicing the piano. But I did eventually get to get out and, and play with my friends, and which and I love sports, but uh, the music part was good because it was, a, it was a, another discipline. It was another way of making you think uh, and, and realizing that there was more to life than just academics. So um, I was a pretty well-rounded kid. I mean, I was a good kid. I did what my parents told me to until you know, mid to late high school when you start dating and things, and you know how that goes, and you start yeah. to get a little bit rebellious. But, uh, but up to that point, I was, I was pretty good. And then even then, I was a good student in high school. So got a lot of good friends in high school, a lot of smart friends in high school. So that was a big influence, too. Uh, a lot of people that want to go to medical school or dental school 
or uh, some attorneys. One friend from high school, he's a priest. He's actually a, a Greek Orthodox priest in in uh, Arizona. And I'm friends with all these people still. So thanks to social media in one way, that's one. And of course, class reunions. So it was a combination of things. I no set one thing, but I had a lot of hobbies, but I still stayed focused on the ball. And that was, you know, getting A's and A's and B's as best you could. And it got harder as you go, as you go along, but it was just, I was just a good worker and I studied hard and paid attention to what I was doing and, and focused, I guess. So very nice. Very nice. Makes, makes a lot of sense to me. Makes a lot of sense to me. So Rob, uh, can I ask, what is an average day like for you? Well, there, my, I'm sort of semi-retired. So my days nowadays are different than my days when I first got out of residency and fellowship. So when I first started, and I finished my residency and fellowship, which I was about 30 years old then. So you, you really don't make much money as a doctor until you're, you're sort of an indentured servant when you're going through, uh, through residency. And of course, you pay for college and medical school. If you're lucky, you get loans or you join the military and you get help that way. But once you're out, um, you're probably in your later 20s, early 30s, and you uh, try to join a group and you work your you work very hard you know you kind of work your butt off to get to be a partner in that group which usually takes a few years so uh, the days were busy I was pretty much eight to five being a radiologist but I did a lot of night call and weekends and I my first practice was in a small group and so it was busy you when you from when you walked in the door till you left you were always uh, you were always working there was always something to do and that was reading cat scans mris ultrasound x-rays doing upper gis doing barium enemas and in my case i was i brought in uh, some interventional skills so i was doing things like vascular angiograms for uh, runoff which is you know the lower extremity arteriograms and and carotid arteriograms to look for carotid narrowing or stenosis and then i would do drainages of fluid collections and abscesses and things like that so that was my first job. And then the next job, which I was there for seven years, and that was a partnership track too. That was, the the money was better then, but the, the workload was huge. It was really, really busy. Starting at seven in the morning, up till four in the afternoon, five in the afternoon, depending on what you did. Busy night call, busy weekends, very high volume practice. But you got used to it as you went. It was really overwhelming at first. Busy offices too, you know, just always something going on, kind of the same thing. But uh, every specialty is different. You know, surgeons are different than internal medicine people. They're different than pediatricians or psychiatrists or radiologists like me or pathologists, for example. So for me, uh, that that'd be my typical day. After that, I moved on to uh, to working from home. So I read from home for four years. So I, out of state from Michigan when I moved back to Massachusetts, and that was still a busy day. It was a lot of cases, but it was nice because you could sort of go at your own pace. And that was sort of Monday through Friday regular hours. And then uh, that kind of fell through. There was a long story there. So I ended up going back to a real job job uh, in Providence, Rhode Island for five years, and then another one after that. And well, some was a little bit less busy and some was busier, a little bit overwhelming, but not back to partnership tracks or anything. So the motivation may not have been there, but uh, the practices in radiology were always busy. I mean, there was it was rare that you had some, you know, some free time, unless you became more efficient and you read faster and as staying accurate, that could free up a little bit of, of, uh, of time. But time was valuable on a daily basis. You didn't, you didn't want to waste it or you were stuck in the hospital or in the office till really really late hours and nobody really wants that. So you try to be efficient. If you're there, do your work, get it done and move on with your day. Try to have a social life too. You know, try to have a home life, of course. So very nice, very nice, very nice. And Rob, what do you enjoy the most about being a neuroradiologist? Well, you do help people. I mean, it's, it's, it's changes over time. You, You know, when you go into medicine, you've got this ideal this ideal concept of how you're going to cure cancer and how you're going to help these people and you're going to make a lot of money and this and that. 
and then times change. You know, you, you, there are criticisms. There's there you make mistakes that you regret or that you learn from. But for the most part, it's satisfying that you're helping people. Even for me now, I'm just I'm home reading X-rays two days a week because you did say what am I doing? So now I'm I'm part-time day trader since the COVID. I've been home anyway and working from home. So I've been day trading a little bit uh, stock market, but not a huge amount and just a s- small percentage of my work. I read x-rays two days a week and occasionally MRIs. It's a few hours on Wednesdays and Thursdays, so it's no big deal. And then I've been working on this book that uh, is another story, but so I've been part-time doing sort of three jobs. So that's what I'm doing now. It's all just kind of the same, but I'm most comfortable with radiology. And what I like the best still is that I'm helping people. If somebody's got a pneumonia and I make the diagnosis, you're helping somebody out or if they've got a fracture. It's it's still very satisfying that even people that I'll never meet, you know, and I'm reading their x-rays and they're 14 or they're 800 miles away or 1400 miles away, but I'm still helping them. So the one thing about radiology, you can do a lot of work from home. And, and if you have your license and some people have their licenses in 30 states, you know, I've got mine in three, but uh, it's nice that you can work from home and, and still help out people in other parts of the country, or even in some cases, the, wor- uh, the world, you know, so. Very nice, very nice, very nice. And of course, the back end of that question is, what do you enjoy the least? Well, the least is the business of radiology has changed, um, and and I've not really been part of it because I've always been either a partner or an employee. I've never really run a practice myself, so I've never had the headaches of the insurance programs and and having to uh, to dig to to get paid for patient care. Of course, as you know, that with Medicare and Medicaid and now HMOs and PPOs, the the whole the business of of medicine has changed uh, tremendously. So. A lot of people uh, got burnt out of that part, especially people ran, running their own practice, and they went to part time, or they changed jobs, or did something else. Uh, for me, that's it's a part, it, it's a, it's a troublesome thing, but I was never directly involved with it. But I can see how it makes doctors bitter. And the other thing is, when radiology got to be very assembly line, I, it just when I was busy and making you know really good money, but never having that satisfaction, never having the time to uh, enjoy what I was doing. I was just like case after case after case, and not being able to appreciate. That I'm helping people. It was, it was just a constant on the go. Uh, and I called it assembly line. I worked in Flint, Michigan for seven years. And as you know, the auto industry is there. And I used to call it assembly line radiology. And that's kind of what it was. Uh, well, you get a little burnout too, I guess. So with you, when you're doing the same thing forever and ever and ever, a lot of, a lot of doctors experience burnout. Up to 20 to 50% of doctors I've read have ex- experienced burnout over the, over the years. So uh, th- that's hard to, to fight or to overcome. But for me, I went to part-time when I was 43, 44 years old, it was more important for me to enjoy what I was doing than to make a lot of money. You know, I was still making enough money to do okay and get ahead a little bit, but I wasn't making a killing. But at least I, I could balance my work life with social life and, and outdoor activities because I am an active guy. I like golf and tennis and swimming and the gym, you know, going to concerts and ball games and, and all kinds of things outside of medicine. So uh, I, I try to make it so that uh, I could prevent that. So those are two of the, those are a couple of the things that, that make medicine and a lot of doctors are bitter with how things have changed. Doctors have lost control over their own practices, how much they get to charge patients, uh, that kind of thing. For me, and my dad always said, it, don't do it for the money. And he was right. My dad loved medicine, but never did it for the money. You know, the money comes, but you're, you can't expect. And things are different now than they were 30, 40 years ago when he had all that advice, of course. So right now, I don't really have any grudges or anything against radiology. It's a very active practice. Oh, one other thing, it's very commoditized now. So because the insurances are unwilling to pay like they used to for mammograms or CAT scans or MRIs, uh, they pay less. So I am now paid by the case, but that has dropped considerably the amount of, that you make per case over time. Maybe it's still okay, but it's a commodity. You know, you're kind of at the will, you're kind of at the will of the insurance companies, what, how they reimburse you, or how a company that I work for 
or practice that I work for pays you. So in that sense, it's sort of a commodity. So and okay. a falling commodity. But it's not it's not terrible. But it's just it's something that you could say that it's less pleasant about the practice of medicine than say 20, 30 years ago when you got to you know you got paid well and you were and you just practiced and you had a business secretary or somebody to run the business for you and it didn't become overwhelming. So okay. it's changed. Okay. Okay. Rob, now this next question is my absolute favorite question, no doubt about it. And that is, do you think that grades mattered in school for the success that you have in your career today? Absolutely. And grades, you know, if you're talented and you're intelligent and you get good grades because you you have that skill and you don't have to study hard, well, God bless. Because there were a few people in my medical school class that I was so impressed that they would study for what we had concurrence. We had four exams on uh, one Monday once a month. And believe me, you studied hard. I mean, you studied hard every day anyway. But for the two weeks before that exam, you studied day in and day out. When you weren't in class eight hours a day, you were at home or at the library studying. Some people didn't have to study that hard. They didn't have to take that long to, to study for their exams. They just had this natural, whatever you want to call it, a memory or, or just a skill, this intelligence that I guess I'm intelligent, but I still had to study hard and work hard. But when you're talking about high school, junior high doesn't matter as much, but I don't want to tell some kid to just, you know, screw around in junior high or elementary school. You should still be a serious student. And I know these kids are learning more earlier than they were before, you know, the new math. And the, But when it comes to high school and college, grades count. I mean, A's and B's are essential. You should expect to get at least a 3.4, 3.5 grade point average in college to try to get into medical school. And, I'm, and it depends what college you go to. Like I went to Tufts, which has a good reputation. And ended up with about a three four three five when I graduated. But when I applied to medical school, I had about a three point five three point six, which is a pretty good grade point average for that school. So, and on, t- on top of that, there's the boards. Now we used to have the MCATs, the uh, Medical Aptitude Test. I think they've changed the name of it now. It's a pre-med aptitude test, and it's important to do well on that too because that's the one way you can compare students across the country or across the world with each other. You know, because grades within a certain school are one thing. If you go to community college versus Harvard. You know, there's a difference between being straight A student, but uh, you know, Harvard, you can get probably get more B's, but if you do well on the boards and the the name helps, you know, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, that 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 definitely helps because it's a better quality school in general. Not that there aren't a lot of great quality schools because they are all over the country. You know, University of Michigan's a good school, University of Chicago, University of San Francisco, you know, California, San Francisco. So it's a combination of things. So grades, your board scores, uh, where you go to school, they all help. And uh, and then other things like doing research and getting good letters of recommendation is an important thing. It's more than one thing. Uh, and also extracurricular activities. People don't want you to, like I was talking about before, people don't want you to just be uh, studying. They want you to, to play piano or guitar or play varsity basketball or whatever the case might be. You know, do have different interests. Uh, run the debate team, the debate club, whatever it might be. So it's a combination thing, but there's no doubt grades are the first thing people look at I, that I think of. I mean, that's it's very important part of the application process. Okay. 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 I love that answer right there. So Rob, uh, you, you touched on it earlier a little bit, but let's go ahead and resurface on that. So uh, what do you feel that your impact is? And when I say impact, I mean, what are you devoted to? What's your devotion? Well, right now, I mean, radiology, I got burnt out of for a while, but I'm sort of back into it now because um, I've been working on my, my book, which is a biography about my dad. And I've got a little burnout from that because I've been working hard on that for about two years. Uh, and I'm, it's in a sixth edit now, so I'm, I'm taking a break. I'm actually getting help editing this book now for a sixth edit 
uh, a deep edit. So the book's going to be rearranged a little bit. And that's going to take about six to nine months. And uh, that that is my passion right now. It's it's my legacy towards my parents. It's my, you know, my dad's story is it's unbelievable. Uh, we can talk about that in a minute. But um, that has been my passion now. And radiology has been a nice way to it's because I'm comfortable doing it. It's when I don't know how to write because I'm not a writer by trade. I'm a doctor. So when I get stuck writing or editing, it's nice to go back to radiology and do something that I'm comfortable and familiar with. And at least I'm getting paid for it. I mean, it's not a lot, but I'm, you know, it's something that I, that I know I can do. So the day trading I picked up is kind of new and I'm, I'm okay at it. I mean, I'm, I'm right most of the time, which is all you got to be. And, and I've only, and I only uh, invest a very small percentage of, of what, what we own. So I, I don't take too much risk, but uh, it's better than money's just sitting in cash and, and you know how the stock market's been way, way, way down. But I have been following investments in the stock market for many, many years, and that's been a big passion of mine too. So investing is, is big. Sports, music, my book, religion, history. I've got a little bit of interest in you know, current events. Uh, I wasn't a big history buff back in high school. I was more science and math. But now with you know, my dad's book and, and all the, the things surrounding it, I'm more into history now too. So I'm an open-minded guy, I, and the thing is, we can get, all get bored easily too. So it's nice to find new hobbies, new things to do, new things, new interests over time to to keep you fresh, you know. So you're not stagnating, and and that gets hard as you get older because your uh, attention span goes down as you get older. And now with the internet and video games and all these other distractions we have, and now even with COVID, our attention spans have just shrunk. You know, they shrink and shrink and shrink. And I look back at how I got through med school and college and all that and residency back in the day. I don't know if I could even do that now. You know, I, I, your memory at 57 years old is not the same as when you're 21, 25 years old, and your, your capability of learning is not as efficient. You know, so there's there's a lot of things. But I do have a lot of passions. I try to be enthusiastic about a lot of things. There's good days and bad days, and with this pandemic, of course, a lot of bad days where you're not meeting people, you're not getting to do the activities you want. But uh, they'll be they'll be back once we get this vaccine. Things will get better again, and we'll be out there at concerts and ball games and doing things we enjoy again so yep yep okay so so rob again you've been given excellent 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 advice all interview long excellent answers but if there is one just one piece of advice that you could give to somebody out there listening right now who wants to be in the position that you're in today what would that be a few quick things one is be a team player always be a team player remember that there's no substitute for experience so yeah, you not you'll finish college, but then you go to med school and you won't know squat. And you finish med school and you get into a residency and you know you won't know squat. And then you do a fellowship and you won't know squat. And then you'll go out in the real world and practice for five years, ten years before you really start to get a handle on what you're doing before you're comfortable. So there's no substitute for experience. Be a team player. And a lot of doctors are not really good with money or business. So make sure you get tied in with people that can help you with that if you're not good yourself. And make sure you save and invest early and often. Use your youth on your side because, you know, you're not you're not making much money as a doctor until you're 20, 28, 30 years old and even older. So so your 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 time that you get to save and invest is shorter than most people that say get a good job right out of high school or, or right out of college, you know, and, and plumbers and electricians and construction people. They don't have that delayed gratification. They're making their money right away. I don't know if they're saving it, but the smart people do. So save and invest early and often. So those are three things. You know, it's no substitute for experience. Uh, be a team player and save and invest early and often will be three of the three of the big ones. But there's a lot. You know, the more you think about it, there's more things you can say to kids that, that sometimes they will listen, sometimes they won't. But I, I like when kids listen. And when I say kids, people like you that are 21, 
you're a kid to me. You know, people that are 35 are kids to me. Now, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so, but those are three, three of the big ones. Um, oh, one other thing. You can learn something from every case. That was something that, uh, or you can learn something from every attending, the attending physicians that teach you over time or, or colleagues or even med students or people that, you know, residents, I always ask questions. So you can learn something from every case. When you stop learning, that's when you stagnate. That's when you're the dead shark in the water, you know? So you yep. want to keep moving. You want to keep going forward, whether it's in medicine or not. I mean, that's, you know, whether you're reading the newspaper or whatever the case may be. So very nice. Very nice. Very nice. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And again, Rob, you have given excellent, excellent, excellent advice, all interview long, excellent answers to each question. Um, now we are getting to that part where we can talk about uh, the book. So first off, I mean, is there anything that you wanted? I, I'm just going to leave uh, whatever you shout out in the link in the description below, whether it's a website, uh, social media, uh, and especially your book um, that I know is going to come out soon. So, okay, well, um, well, it turns out my mom and dad wrote my dad's autobiography in the 1970s. And they worked hard on it. They've edited it. They, they did it basically on hard copy. They put it on the computer and ended up on a disc. And it kind of sat there for a long time. Then, you know, my dad passed in 1997. My mom passed in 2016. And when I cleaned out my mom's house, the, the disc turned up. And I still didn't really do much with it. And a year time to work on my mom's affairs. And once I was done with that, I was kind of retiring. And then, But uh, a friend of mine needed help reading these x-rays, which I'm still doing now from home. And that brought me to my back to my home computer, my home desk, you know, desktop. And then it brought me to the book. So I loaded the, the disc back into the computer and I thought, well, let's turn this autobiography into a biography. So I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And the book is called The Hungarian Papillon or Hungarian Papillon, if you want to pronounce it correctly in French. People that know the story of the Papillon was an old movie, you know, a true story. Steve McQueen was in the movie with Dustin Hoffman in the 70s. Fantastic movie, but a true story about an escape artist from Devil's Island. Well, my dad was a four-time escape artist when he was in Hungary. He escaped twice from two forced labor camps during World War II. And then after the war, he, he after searching for his parents, who we couldn't find because they were they were exterminated during the war, but he went. He finally got into medical school, which was very difficult being Jewish. And there's a lot of themes about, uh, I won't say racism, because that's not the right word nowadays, but anti-Semitism. And there's a lot of overlap. We could talk about another hour about that, but that's in the book. There's a lot of themes about the and how he had to climb uphill to get his gut into medical school and finally and finish medical school. So, but he didn't like the, the Russians took over and there was a communist society then. And it wasn't much better. Like my dad said, it was out of the frying pan into the fire. He got tired of the communist way. He actually escaped the country as a med student into Austria, but realized, you know, he's taking a lot of risk. He could get caught. He could be in prison. He could ruin his whole career. So he actually turned around and went back to medical school. The next night he was on call and nobody even knew he was gone. So he actually escaped to Austria, the Western world, and came back. And finally, after the uh, Hungarian revolution against the Russians in 1956, he escaped Hungary with my mom. It was a very perilous escape. It was not an easy escape. They got help from all kinds of people. Uh, including uh, a priest, which is a great story in the book. So, so the book is the Hungarian Papillon uh, Dad's Story was the original title, but somebody said, well, Dad's Story is not that specific. So now I'm thinking the Hungarian Papillon uh, Navigating the Holocaust and Beyond or um, the, the Holocaust, uh, the History and the Revolution Through the Eyes of an Escape Artist. I'm still working on the title. My assistant writer is going to help me figure that out. So after all of that, and my dad had many illnesses and, and many hardships. And unlike now, if people have the COVID and everybody's trying to help you back then, the Jewish people were persecuted. But they so when they were poor or starving or struggling or persecuted, the people were putting uh, their, their uh, proverbial uh, the, the boot on the head or the yoke around the neck. 
as we've seen so terribly here, you know, recently that's happened in, in our cities, but it happened all the time there, you know, without any kind, you know, there was no lawyers and there was no cameras and there was no internet. So, um, so there was all of that. So finally they escape and he redoes his residency. He has to relearn English, uh, delivers 50,000 babies, uh, in a shortened career. He had a, about a 20 year career rather than what would have been a 30 year career and, uh, you know, sort of lived happily ever after, but always had a great attitude, always had a great sense of humor, you know, never whined or complained. If he had PTSD, you would never know it. Uh, my mom and dad were very mentally tough. And that's a big lesson out of all of this between what I went through my own training. I mean, I had it easy. They, they had their support. Uh, you know, they, they nurtured me. They, they let, they, I was extremely lucky, you know, having good parents and you can't take that for granted enough, you know, have both parents around to help you and intelligent and tough um, and disciplined. And so the book is sort of about, all, it's all of that. And um, I'm looking forward to really getting it out. It's supposed to be published hopefully next year. Uh, I'm going to try to, I've tried to query agents and publishers, but once this book gets rewritten, we're going to try that again. And I may end up self-publishing, but it's a, just a great story. The four-time escape artist through a uh, major adversity, and doing what they did and not complaining and just moving on, adapting to the American culture and customs and, and being successful after being down for so long and, and being persecuted for so long. So but the website, it's, if anybody's interested, it's just a new website in progress. It's uh, robertjwolfmd.com, uh, one word, robertjwolf, just W-O-L-F-M-D.com. Or you can email me also at robert at robertjwolfmd.com. Um, I'm also on, <laughs> I don't know if it's unfortunately or not, because I spent a lot of time. I'm on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. So you can find me on all that. I'm, I'm actively marketing, but I'm not really pushing it too much because I don't want to tell the book is ready to be sold as a hard copy and, and audio. So uh, I hope people read it. I hope, I hope it sends a message. I hope a lot of people uh, buy this book when it's out. Um, it's touching. There's good stories and bad. There's no pussyfooting. It's, the, it's my dad's biography. It's the truth. So a lot of miracles, but a lot of sad stuff, but a great story overall. And it's a great human interest story. And if you're interested in history, it's great. Um, not a lot of people know about Hungarian history in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So combination of everything. It's hard to sell a book, and it's very competitive business, but I've got a good feeling about it. And you now it gets in the right hands. This book will, will sell and hopefully gets a lot of messages. So kids should have their anatomy and biology book in one hand and my dad's book in the other hand. So Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Please, 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 please pick, click the link in the description below to check out that book. And Rob, again, has been an excellent, excellent, excellent guest on today's podcast. Couldn't have asked for a better interview. Um, now, folks, as you know, there are three types of work, a job, a career, and a calling. Most people have a job. You're lucky if you find your career, but you are truly, truly blessed if you find your calling. And I really hope that me and Rob helped you find it here today. Folks, that is a wrap. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to leave a review so that someone else can discover it too. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at YI Network for episode updates, weekly takeaways, quotes of the week, and much, much more. And if you or somebody else you know is passionate about their job and would like to share their story, email us at whyimpassionate at gmail.com. Again, whyimpassionate at gmail.com. Talk to you soon, folks. And I play my position. You talking too much. Please learn how to listen. I never give up. I'm not quitting.